Get the sugar from out of your cupboards. It's time to get sweet here on this brand new episode of the Igloo. The March Madness simulation rolls on with the Sweet 16. What's up, everybody? Now, again, started with 68 on episode 61, and now we got it down to just 16. Taking a look at what teams are remaining as a refresher. In the East, you've got Dayton, Maryland, Louisville, Michigan State. In the West region, Gonzaga, Liberty, Villanova, and Kentucky. In the Midwest, Kansas, Iowa, Creighton, and Florida State. And then in the South, Baylor, Oregon, Seton Hall, and San Diego State. And you know how everyone does March Madness pools? Well, I kind of kept score for myself to see how accurate my picks would be. So in the first round, out of 32, I only got 20 right. Not great, but I did bounce back strongly in round two, as I actually had 12 of the 16 Sweet 16 teams correct. The only ones I missed... I missed San Diego State, and I had Michigan in their place. I had Virginia in there in place of Liberty. I don't know why I picked Duke, uh, considering the end of their season didn't look too great. Um, Iowa is in their slot. And then with Auburn, I picked them to make it to the Sweet 16, knowing how Bruce Pearl can coach in March, but... That obviously backfired as Indiana knocked him out in the first round, and it is Creighton who is in their spot in the Sweet 16. Other than that, I got everything else right. So, uh, just to preface as to who I have in the Elite Eight, uh, well, who I had in the Elite Eight, I had Dayton, Michigan State, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Kansas, Florida State, Oregon, and Seton Hall. And I think it's really funny how I had, how it all trickled out. But those are eight schools, each from a different conference. You know, Dayton from the A-10, Michigan State from the Big Ten, Gonzaga from the West Coast Conference, Kentucky from the SEC, Kansas from the Big 12, Florida State from the ACC, Oregon from the Pac-12, and then, of course, Seton Hall from the Big East. So uh, let's get right into it with the Sweet 16, starting in the Midwest region, games that would have taken place on Thursday. I believe it would have been March 27th. No, March 26th. Had it all, I almost messed up, but I got it. So these games would have taken place Thursday, March 26th at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And let's start with Creighton and Florida State. Would have been the first game around 7 o'clock Eastern time on CBS. Now the Blue Jays put up quite a fight. You know, without Marcus Zigorowski getting two solid victories in the opening weekend of the tournament. They beat Northern Kentucky by 23. And then they handled Indiana by 13 in the second game. Now they take on a much tougher foe, Florida State. 
ACC regular season and tournament champions, a team that had beaten South Alabama by 22, but escaped with only a four-point victory over Arizona, a pretty scrappy, tough team. So Florida State's defense against, even without Zigarowski, Creighton's high-powered offense. And shockingly, it was a low-scoring game at the half, 31-29 in favor of the Knowles. But it was Florida State who ended up pulling away to win 74-66. To start with, obviously, the losers, and because this is a Big E show... For the Creighton Blue Jays, Tyshawn Alexander, who had been leading the way for the Blue Jays in their three previous postseason games, you know, the one biggest tournament game, and then the two games in the NCAA tournament, he was kept in check, just 12 points. Mitch Ballack actually led the way, the junior from Eudora, Kansas, with 18 points. Christian Bishop, Damian Jefferson, each with 10. Denzel Mahoney struggled from the field. He had just seven. Leading scorer off the bench... The recently scholarship-granted Jet Canfield, he chipped in four in place of Mahoney, who was plagued a little bit with foul trouble. Meanwhile, Kelvin Jones, who was really solid in the first two rounds, he was uh, kept in check to just three points. Meanwhile, for Florida State, the game high went to Trent Forrest with 21 points. Vassal and Williams each with 14, and then Anthony Polite off the bench chipped in a dozen. So the Seminoles back in the Elite Eight for the second time in the last three years under Leonard Hamilton. Unbelievable job he has done down in Tallahassee. Now, on to the nightcap from Lucas Oil Stadium. Another Midwestern showdown, Iowa and Kansas. Big Ten versus Big 12. And a arguably best big man matchup that you can imagine. Luca Garza versus Udoka Azabuki. And Azabuki got the upper hand in the individual matchup with a game high 20 points. Garrett chipped in 19 for Kansas. Dotson with 13 and Agbaji with 11. But a well-balanced effort from the Iowa Hawkeyes helps give them their first Elite Eight appearance since the days of B.J. Armstrong. That's right. Punching their ticket to the Elite Eight for the first time since 1987. A 33-year drought snapped. Iowa wins it 88-86. to So how about that? A rather unexpected Elite Eight matchup on our hands now. Iowa and Florida State. And that's going to be exciting, and you'll hear about that on the next episode of the Igloo coming out in just a few days. I can tell you this much. I don't think anyone could have envisioned that matchup or really either of those teams making the Elite Eight back in the preseason. Now, moving on to the West region at the Staples Center in L.A., starting with Villanova and Kentucky. A dream matchup between coaches that we finally get to see. Jay Wright versus John Calipari. And boy, did it live up to the hype. An offensive clinic for both sides. Paced by a game-high 25 from Colin Gillespie. Continuing his magical march. 
to lead Villanova to an 83-81 victory. Two other Wildcats in double figures, Sadiq Bey with 15, Jermaine Samuels with 14. How about Cole Swider chipping in nine off the bench while Justin Moore was in foul trouble. He had just five points. So Jay Wright opting with a bigger lineup playing Sadiq Bey, a 6-8 swingman at the two. And moving Swider to the three, that move pays dividends. Meanwhile, all five starters for Kentucky double figures, led by 21 from Nick Richards. You also had 16 from Quickly, 13 from Ashton Hagens, 12 from EJ Montgomery, and 10 from Tyrese Maxey. And then leading score off the bench, the Bucknell transfer, Nate Sestina, with seven. So Villanova, they're back in the Elite Eight for the third time in the last five years, Kentucky. Sent home in the Sweet 16 yet again. And for Kentucky, I mean, still, a 30-7 and season is nothing to be ashamed about. And same with, uh, you know, the seasons that Creighton and Kansas had. Creighton finishing at 26-9 and and Kansas at 32-5. and You know, nothing to be ashamed about. Nothing to hang your heads on. And Kentucky, again, 31 season, nothing but the best, again, to uh, that team and Coach Cal. Now, in the second game, really the only true David versus Goliath type matchup in the Sweet 16, Liberty versus Gonzaga, the upstarts from Liberty, making their first Sweet 16 appearance in program history. Taking on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, the perennial powerhouse in college basketball in recent years. Six consecutive Sweet 16, Sweet 16 appearances. They can't get the enunciation out right. Uh, for Mark Few and company. So six years in a row. And they go back to the Elite Eight with a dominant 75-57 victory. And really, I mean, there was no doubt from the start, really. Leading the way for Gonzaga, the senior Killian Tilly with 19, Ryan Woolridge with 18, Corey Kispert with 13, Philip Petrusev with 11, Anton Gilder was held to just six points off the bench, Joel Ayayi had four. Meanwhile, leading the way for Liberty was Cuffey with 11, and then Pacheco, Ortiz, and McGee each had 10. And then off the bench, and um, also Baxter Bell off the bench had 9. And then their big man, James, had 9. Liberty, easily their best season in program history. Their first Sweet 16 in school history. They finished 32-5. and Unbelievable year for the Flames. Now, moving on to the games that would have taken place Friday, March the 27th. Starting at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. A Big Ten ACC showdown, Louisville and Michigan State. And remember, Louisville had beaten Michigan State at the KFC Yum Center just a year ago in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And it looked like it was going to be more of the same as Louisville actually held a nine-point halftime lead. It was 40-31. to and Michigan State, they really had to dig deep in the second half as they pulled off an incredible comeback, leading to a miraculous 
66-65 victory. The Spartans escape again. They had a nail-biter against Texas that came as a bit of a shock, but here against Louisville, more of an even matchup. It's the Spartans who are able to overcome a nine-point halftime deficit to win it by a point. Jordan Wara leads the way with 13 points for the Cards and stepping up for Michigan State. It wasn't Cassius Winston. It was the other Detroit guard on the Spartans roster, Rocket Watts, with 17 points, a game high, as he leads the Spartans to the Elite Eight for the second straight season. And then in the nightcap from the world's most famous arena, Maryland versus Dayton. A matchup I'm looking forward. Um, I was looking forward to with this. Uh, Jalen Smith against Obi Toppin, the National Player of the Year, against the man they call Sticks from Maryland, and it lives up to the hype. Jalen Smith chips in 20 points, a game high for the Terps. Crutcher leading the way with 19 for Dayton. Obi Toppin only had 14, but the Flyers do enough. They won by one in their second round victory over Florida. This time they get another one-point victory as they do it here in the Sweet 16 in New York against Maryland, 79-78. to So the Flyers, they just keep on winning and proving that their incredible record going into that game at 34-2, and it was no joke. And, you know, the week schedule that they played, not really facing a lot of teams from the Power 5, well, Power 6 basketball sense, if you include the Big East, which I do, and you should. But the Flyers, they get the job done. And they are on to the Elite Eight for the first time since their miracle run in 2014 when they were an 11 seed, falling to the top overall seed in that year's tournament, ironically enough, Florida. So the Terps, they finished their season 26-9. And and that was their first Sweet 16 appearance in four years. Meanwhile, for the Cardinals of Louisville, they finished 28-9. And that was their first Sweet 16 appearance since 2015. Now, on to the South Regional, starting with Seton Hall versus San Diego State. The Aztecs and the Pirates, an interesting battle for sure because the Aztecs, another team that was doubted by many because of their weak schedule of sorts, and... Even with a 30-2 season entering the tournament, it was still weak enough for them to not get a number one seed. They were demoted to a two seed, but they've proven to be a second weekend team by advancing with wins over Charlotte and USC. Meanwhile, Seton Hall, back in their first Sweet 16 for the first time in 20 years. That's right, the last time they made it, the year 2000. San Diego State, by the way, this is their first trip since 2014 when they were led by Xavier Thames. So, Seton Hall, they were led by a tremendous defensive effort in this one. They led 31-22 to at the break, and they never looked back. 
Final score, the Pirates take care of business, 68-57. Miles Powell pacing the Pirates yet again with 23 points a game high. Two other Pirates were a double figures. Quincy McKnight with 14. Jared Roden with 11. And then the two bigs in the starting five for Seton Hall. Sandro Mamukelashvili and Romaro Gill each only had six points. Meanwhile, Miles Kale, Shavar Reynolds each with three. Tyree Samuel with two. And then for San Diego State, tied for the team high, K.J. Fegan and Mountain West player, um, arguably the best player in the Mountain West, Malachi Flynn, each with 13 points. Matt Mitchell had 10 and again, San Diego State, they couldn't get into that rhythm early offensively in the first half. Again, just 22 first half points. And it was just too much catch up for them to be playing and it cost them. So the Aztecs, they finish 32-3. and um, Despite a disappointing result in the Sweet 16, still a tremendous season for Brian Dutcher and company down in the 6-1-9. And then the nightcap, Baylor back in their home state of Texas, playing at the Toyota Center, the site of the South Regional against the Oregon Ducks. In a game I, I would probably dub the Neon Battle. The Ducks coming off wins against Eastern Washington and Stephen F. Austin now facing their first legitimate challenge of the tournament as Baylor... They are here at this stage with wins over Penn, a 29-point triumph, and then a 9-point victory over Utah State. For Oregon, they got the usual from Peyton Pritchard. He had a game-high 20 points, but again, his supporting cast just couldn't come around. Because the next highest point total, there were three different ducks with just seven. That was Richardson, Dweeston, and Duarte. Meanwhile, a well-balanced effort from Baylor leads them to victory, led by a, a team-high 15 from Jared Butler and 14 from Macy Oteague, 12 from Mitchell, and 10 from Freddie Gillespie. That helps the Bears advance to the Elite Eight for the first time since Quincy Acey led them in 2012. And, of course, one of my all-time favorite, just strict shooters, Brady Heslip. Final score, Baylor, your winner, 66-58. to So the Bears, with their, they'll take their 32-4 record into the Elite Eight. So now we know what teams are now officially elite. And those eight teams are Florida State, Villanova, Iowa, Gonzaga, Michigan State, Seton Hall, Dayton and Baylor. Only four of them will punch their ticket to Atlanta. Who will it be? Well, I guess you're going to have to find out in the very next episode. But coming up next, I talked about Sweet Seton Hall making their first Sweet 16 appearance since 2000. And joining me next from his home in Augusta, Georgia, uh, point guard. On that 2000 team. And a March Madness hero in the Pirates' Cinderella run to the Sweet 16 as a 10 seed. As he played a major role in upsetting 2 seed Temple in the round of 32 with 26 points off the bench in place 
of an injured, now head coach of St. Peter's, Shaheen Holloway. Ty Shine is going to join me next here inside the Igloo, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Continuing on towards the end of Season 1, and we're getting to the point I talked about who has made the Sweet 16 in the March Madness simulation, one of those teams, the Senol Pirates, who would have made it for the first time since the year 2000. And joining me now is a member of that 2000 Seton Hall squad and a class of the class of 2002 from the Hall, Ty Shine. Ty, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get to the beginning of your college basketball journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a kid from the state of Georgia, um, and from Augusta to be specific, um, how in the world did you land up, uh, end up in from the Peach State to South Orange, you know, to go on a fruit pun there, South Orange, mm-hmm. New Jersey? Uh, well, I went to prep school um, in Connecticut and Milford. Mm-hmm. Okay. After my senior year in high school, and um, I didn't qualify academically as far as I had my core but I didn't have my test scores. So what happened was I went to Milford Academy in uh, Milford, Connecticut. And um, I was always going to the, the big tournaments to where all the big time college coaches came um, at that particular time. Adidas ABCD was a big camp that I got invited to, you know, where all the all Americans and the, the, the coaches come at. So I was always on the radar. Um, but I went to Milford um, as a post-grad, and um, I ended up passing my test the first time that they gave it out that year. So what that allowed me to do, I could have went and played at any school starting that January. But I didn't want to waste the whole year on a half of year of, of my uh, far as basketball-wise. So what I ended up doing was going to Seton Hall in January, just enrolling and practicing and uh, starting classes. So um, that's how I kind of ended up at um, Seton Hall. The uh, the assistant at the time was Rob Jackson. Um, I think he was the guy that, you know, took a liking into me and uh, brought, you know, brought that information to Coach Amica. And um, that's how it happened. Gotcha. Uh, now, um, was it more so schools in the Northeast that you were looking at, or um, did you have? Well, no, nah, it, was, it was the schools all over, like Cincinnati. You know, they were, you know, on the radar. Yeah, and, I mean, um, they were great I, at the I, time, too. Uh, you know, Kenny yeah. Martin came out of there. Bobby Huggins is the head coach. Yep, and um, it was during that time. And then Owl State. Um, when they had Tim Floyd as the coach, but he ended up leaving the year after that to go coach the Chicago Bulls. He was the head coach. Oh yeah, and, and you uh, blame. <laughs> oh, and you gotta blame. Uh, what's his name for it? Oh, Jerry Krause, mm-hmm. the the man who is like he got painted as the villain in that movie. Sorry to go on a tangent there. Yep, and um, so, uh, in in the University of Georgia at the time, so. Those were really like the main schools that were, you know, <clears throat> that um, you know, that I had narrowed my situation down to. And um, you know, I just picked Seton Hall at that particular time. I always wanted to play in the Big East. 
Gotcha. Now, um, that first uh, semester that you were there, the spring semester of 98, um, um, just being a part of the system and just getting adjusted uh, to the, the program and your teammates, uh, what was that like and uh, how did you see yourself fitting in going into, you know, your first full season um, that, the following fall? Well, um, it, it was a – uh, easy transition, man. And one thing about it, when you love the game of basketball, um, that's really, you know, the main reason. But, you know, you can um, the tra make the transition a lot easier. And um, I had good teammates. I had, you know, a lot of the guys on the team. We had a lot of, you know, some of the same things in common. So the transition was, you know, pretty easy. Um, and then also, it was talks that, you know, Shaheen was going to leave school early because people, I'm quite sure, you know, if you're a basketball fan, Shai had a real good freshman year. Then, you know, he came off the being the MVP of the McDonald's All-American game. Yep. So, Over Kobe. Over yeah, Kobe. Yeah. 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 We laugh and talk about that to this day, him and I. But, um, so that was another, you know, selling pitch that helped me, you know, choose Seton Hall over, you know, the other schools. Right. Um, so obviously with uh, Shaw, um, essentially it was like lining up for you to be like his successor and for him to, you know, mentor you and have you assimilate into the starting point guard job. And lo and behold, your freshman year in January, um, in a game against Pittsburgh, Shaw goes down with an injury, taking a hard pick, and that takes him out for the rest of the year, leaving you um, with the keys to the car, so to speak, as the new starting point guard. And considering where you guys were, you know, in a tough stretch, you got, um, with you a point guard, you are able to help turn things around and get you guys into the postseason, into the NIT, but um, to – you know, before the NIT, though, let's talk about the Big East tournament and going up against the eventual national champion UConn Huskies. Um, I've heard numerous things about just how good UConn was, especially in that season under Jim Calhoun. Uh, but just to even be within shouting distance and force that much of a ball game against that team, um, you know, what kind of effort – did that require and what was the energy like in the garden that night, you know, considering, you know, having Seton Hall's fan base being so close and then obviously UConn's fan base coming, converging in and in forces all the way from Hartford. Yeah. Well, actually it was a morning game actually. Um, but the energy, you know, the energy in the garden is always crazy. And, uh, you know, it's the Big East Tournament. It's on ESPN. So if you couldn't get up for that, uh, then I don't consider you a basketball player. But um, it was a great game. We always matched up well with UConn. You know, they had Richard Hamilton and uh, Khalid Elamine. And then they had also a guy from, my, from Augusta, Georgia, Ricky Moore. Uh, he and I played, competed against each other in high school. And uh, he was the other starting guard with Elamine and um, Richard Hamilton. But, you know, we, we matched up well with them. If you really just, you know, close your eyes and think about it, you could flip a coin on the matchup, Shy versus Elamine, and 
me versus Elami, you know, far as we had two guard point guards and they had one and and him. So that matchup was well. And we had a guy by the name of Gary Saunders. Him and Richard Hamilton matched up real well together. So we we matched up pretty well with them. And and uh Coach Amaker, he he had a great game plan each each time we played them. So all the years that I was pretty much in school, we always matched up with them. Like that was my freshman year, so they didn't win it that year. I think they might have went to the, the Elite Eight or Final Four. They end up winning it my sophomore year. Wait a I mean, you're, 99, they won, the, they won the chip in 99. That I knew. The year 98, they went Elite Eight. That I knew. Anyways, um, moving on to that 2000 season, um, you mm-hmm. get you got a lot of these guys – you know, you talk about Shaheen, also Remus Coquina is uh, another backcourt guy. And you, uh, they're going to be seniors, but you're also bringing in quite a bit of freshman talent, you know, led by future NBA center Samuel D'Alembert. Um Going into that season, uh, still not too high expectations, but, you know, internally, though, were you guys kind of looking at that season and thinking to yourselves, like, this has to be the time, you know, considering you guys hadn't made the tournament since 94, like, okay, this has to be the time we get back to March Madness. Yeah, um, we we felt like that at the particular time. And like I said, man, Coach Amica, that was probably like his third, second or third year. Well, no, probably like, yeah, probably like his second or third year. And um, so he was just, you know, transitioning from bringing in the players that, you know, he started recruiting. So, you know, we started to get better. Like like you said, we got uh, Sam Dallenberg, was a, which was a big recruit at that particular time. And that helped us out, a big seven-footer that, you know, can run and block shots. So, we, you know, that made us uh, better. And uh, Coach Amica, you know, he was a great – well, he is a great – I mean, I think he's a good coach. And uh, he's a great defensive teaching coach. And that's what we laid our hat on that year. And um, uh, we end up winning 20 games uh, plus that year and, uh, you know, making it to the NCAA tournament and eventually going to the Sweet 16. Yeah, and we'll touch on that uh, Cinderella run of sorts to the Sweet 16, uh, you, know, in, you know, later on. I mean, it'll be soon, but let's, um, let's go into um, – January of that year, you know, you're just getting into the thick of things in Big East play. And on a Tuesday night, you guys pick up a big upset um, over eventual um, Big East tournament champion, St. John's, uh, led by Eric Barkley, you know, Mike Jarvis being the head coach. Um, I think they were 18th in the country at the time. That was a big victory. Um, But then um, you wake up the morning of uh, January 19th. And um, you hear the sombering news about what had happened inside one of the residence buildings um, on the campus of Seton Hall. And, you know, that has everyone shocked. Um, uh, What was the overall, um, you know, just meeting as a group after that had happened? And, you know, Remus, um, when I interviewed him uh, not too long ago, he had said that, you know, that allowed you guys to really come together as a team and find that thing, that thing to play for that was much bigger than yourselves in order to, like, have, you know, such a great run. 
Yeah. Um, well, you know, <clears throat> when something like that happens, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, you know, we could take life for granted. So, you know, we had a couple of people that passed away due to that fire. So I think it brought the whole school together, you know, um, at that particular time. And um, it allowed us, you know, to get more pra a little bit more practice time in due to the fact that we had a couple of games that had got postponed, you know, because of the fire. And, um, you know, we just went out and just competed, man. And um, I think, you know, that helped, you know, energize us and made us, you know, want to play for a purpose a little bit more when that happened. Well, yeah, of, of course. And um, that, that win against St. John's, you know, that was energizing um, in itself. But I think the win that really, you know, got you guys going um, was a game that was originally supposed to take place um, that weekend um, in January of 2000. And that was a game that was supposed to take place at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse um, against the Orange Men. Well, they're now the just the Orange now. Um, that ended up taking place on uh, February the 7th instead of – so, you know, two weeks. Um, in, and so instead of playing that weekend, you get a week off before you had to go play at Boston College. And for both of you guys, Syracuse is fourth in the country, and both of you guys only have a day off between games. And, uh, you know, just looking at this now, you guys had won back-to-back -back games. And Syracuse, 19-0 and on the season. Uh, but to, you know, beat an undefeated Syracuse squad in front of 30-plus thousand people, um, did it really sink in to you guys, thinking that, like, okay, like, now we know that we could be among the very best in the entire country? Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a huge win, man. Like, I don't know. I, I, I would probably say even though, you know, we upset at Temple, to get to the Sweet 16 that year, that Syracuse win probably meant more for the team and the, the camaraderie. Uh, that game seemed like, you know, we played for the school, you know, as far as the fire and the incident, what, what, uh, what happened. So um, that was a huge win, man, especially, you know, we played them at, at their place. Like you said, it's always crowded. They always have good, they have, they have a great fan base. And um, we went up there and shot the lights out, man. I think everybody on our team might have hit like two or three threes because, you know, Syracuse is known for their two-three zone, where they zone defense. So uh, we knocked down some shots. Darius shot the ball well that game. Remus, Shaheen, myself. It was a team win, man, and we needed all the guys. And um, we was focused when we played, and um, – like I said, that was probably the biggest win of the year. Yeah, and um, obviously when it gets to March, though, you obviously got to have that survive and advance type of mentality. And at that time, you know, it really, it really was obviously survive and advance, but you guys were literally surviving in very close games. Um, and let's start with that first round game. You know, guys get a 10 seed in the tournament. And you get seventh-seeded Oregon. Um, they're led by a guy who 
actually, I, I don't know if you knew this, you know, he unseated Jason Richardson as the slam dunk champion at All-Star Weekend uh, back in 2004, uh, Fred Jones. Um, and that was a, a hard-fought victory where it was, you know, your mentor, Shaheen Holloway, getting the game winner. Um, but obviously you guys had played so many difficult games where it went down to the wire. Uh, so how important was having that mental toughness um, just in that first round game to like take you guys, you know, put you guys really in survival mode just to get you to the next round? Oh, uh, well, it, it was important, man. Um, to me, that's why we won the game um, because, you know, we had been in so many uh, tough battles, you know, by playing in the Big East Conference. And, um, you know, we just had the will not to never quit, man. And we, you know, we were a good defensive-minded team. And I just think that, that, that year, that's what won us a lot of games. And, um, you know, that shot went down to the buzzer. Shaheen went full court and hit a layup. And that, that sent us to the second round of the tournament. Take me through the emotions just watching that play unfold, though. Well, you, you know, as a kid, man, that's all you always wanted to do was play in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, March Madness is, 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 is a big thing. So, you know, watching it unfold, it, it was just great, man. It was a great win. Um, and, you know, by being a number 10 seed, you know, we was probably expected to be one and done. So it was, it, the emotions were high, man. It was, it was incredible. Now, uh, fast forward a couple days later, now you get second seed Temple. You know, you're not like a modest underdog in one game. Now you're a heavy underdog in this one against – you know, the legendary John Chaney and Temple. Now, early on, though, your mentor goes down. Shaheen Holloway goes down with an injury, and that's when your number gets called. Um, so when he gets, you know, when he walks off the court or um, he gets taken off the court, now uh, put us in your mindset. What's going through your head and just – um, how did how how did how did you find a way to just tap into the zone that you found yourself in that night? Well, um, you know, first off, you know, when you are uh, in the NCAA tournament, man, a lot of guys that's where they make their names at. And um, you know, I always wanted opportunity because you know when you playing with somebody like Shaheen and y'all playing the same position, you know, you get opportunity, but it's not you know, an extreme opportunity because, you know, it's limited because you got a guy that's playing, you know, uh, X amount of minutes. So um, the good part about me, like I said earlier, we the, the, the good part about our backcourt was Shaheen was a good ball handler, handler and a playmaker. Um, I was, you know, a better shooter. And um, Temple – they played a zone and, um, you know, I hit that first shot and, um, you know, anything you do in life, you're going to need confidence. So that, that, that gave you more confidence. Well, it gave me more confidence and it just went down, you know, it was like a snowball effect. They kept, you know, dropping, they, the shot kept falling. So, um, 
it was just one of those games, man. And um, it was a great win. Um, it was a team win. It took all of us, all the energy from all of us to win that game. And, um, you know, the rest was history. Yeah, and, and it required overtime, too. Um, just, you know, when that buzzer sounded and obviously you knew that this game would have to go at least another five minutes, um, what were you guys talking about in the huddle? You know, was, uh, were, there, were there any words of wisdom coming from, from Coach Amaker? And what were you guys just talking about, you know? Um, well, well we, just wanted to stick, we just wanted to stick to the script. Uh, you know, we stayed in the game that far. So, obviously, you know, some of the things we were doing were working. So, it was just, um, you know, just stick to the script. Keep playing. Um, you know, keep fighting. And the things that we practice on, you know, just keep, you know, try to keep doing those to the best of our ability. And, um, you know, even be before going into the tournament, I had picked Temple to win the whole thing that year. I, I thought they was loaded in all all positions. I thought they had a real solid overall team. And, um, you know, uh, we upset them that night. Like, I, I can't even imagine, like, going up against the team that you picked to win it all. Like, was there any part of you, like, they're like, oh, they're not as good as I thought they were? Well, now, I'm not going to – I wouldn't say that they wasn't as good as what I thought. That just further let me know, but which we already knew, that we was just as good as anybody else. You know, we had the talent. We might just didn't have those big primetime names, but we felt like we had the talent to compete with anybody. I got, I got you now. Um, so – you guys did, you know, return home after, you know, those two, you know, heart-stopping wins. Uh, but what what was it like just returning back to South Orange and um, – Oh, it, it, was, it was crazy, man. It was, it was unbelievable. Uh, I also think that by the media, the attention we got after that, that kind of had an effect on us the next game in the Sweet 16 against Oklahoma State. But um, the new we had news cameras all in our cafeteria, our lunchroom. The following week, uh, it's a um, – and I still had a newspaper in the New York Times. It was this lady that always cooked us breakfast in the morning in our cafeteria. Miss Beef? Yeah. Yeah. And they had a picture – they had a picture of her and I hugging in the New York Times on the cover. And um, Orbs, one of our managers, he always tell me this to this day, that me and Derek Jeter were the only guys to either make the front page of the New York Times or Post two days back to back. So, uh, I mean, I don't know how true that is, but a guy always, you know, one of our managers that was the manager for that team, to this day, he always tells me that. So, based off of that particular game, so... Uh, the attention we got after that win, man, it 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 was crazy, man. It was overwhelming. Um, like it's crazy to think that though, like you know, like to be in the in terms of get the coverage, be in the same category as Mister Yankee Derek Jeter. I mean, that, yeah. it, it's crazy to think. Um, and I definitely want to talk, you know, uh, the whole thing about Miss V because now now you're getting my now you're 
getting the wheels running in my memory. Um, but um, I definitely got to ask you, though, uh, before we move on talking about that OK State game, um, was there any particular, like, concoction that you love Miss V making? Uh, it was um, the um, turkey, bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches in the morning. I think yeah, the whole school ate those. And, um, you know, they let us cut the line sometimes, even though that wasn't the right thing to do. But, um, you know, uh, she – I was always – you know, they say Southerners are, you know, real polite, respectful people. So I was always a respectful kid, and I think she took a liking into me. So um, – they, 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 the picture of her and I in the cafeteria hugging, it was on the front of the post. It was either the Times or the Post, one of the two. And, um, and this was like the day after we got back because we beat, we beat Temple on a Sunday. We played on Friday and Sunday, the first all round. All right. You know what I'm going to try to do? I think my homework after I do this interview, find that photo and I will make sure I have it up on Instagram. Make sure. I'll, I'll tag, I'll tag you, Seton Hall, whoever. And um, so people know that that picture is 100% real and as like, yeah. legitimate as it gets. Uh, so um, Oklahoma state, that, that was a solid team. You know, um, it's crazy to think, you know, their starting point guard, uh, now a college hoops analyst, uh, sports talk host, Doug Gottlieb, mm -hmm. uh, Desmond Mason, an unbelievable high flyer. Um but yet now you got to play without Shaheen for a full 40 minutes. Um, was it, it was a, what I feel like it was a game time decision before a was ruled out. Right. Well, not really. We, we kind of knew, um, I would say probably, um, a day or two before the game, um, that he wasn't going to play. Um, so uh and we might have knew before way before then. I think we did. I think we probably knew um early on in the week. I think, you know, they was just trying to rehab and um do everything that they could do to try to, you know, put him in some type of position to play. But I would wanna say we kinda knew way ahead of time that, that I probably was, you know, gonna be the starter. Uh and what that game was, um, we shot the ball bad that game um as a collective team and like I said I just think the attention we got that whole week was a little overwhelming and a little different from us and um it kind of showed a little bit in that game I got you now um my question is you know um you know talk about you know a poor shooting night you know uh going back to the dome a little over a month after you had been there and knocked off Syracuse um did the depth perception kind of, you know, return and mess with hey, you a little it's, bit? It, it, it's, it's crazy that you say that because each year we always used to go up there and shoot the ball pretty well. But for some reason, how the dome is set up, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't, and I'm not trying to make no excuses um, because it is what it is. But um, it just seemed a, a, a little different playing in there that, that um, particular night. Um, and actually the game was real close though. Oh yeah, 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 it was. And I, I feel like, um, in the regular season when you were at the dome, um, it, it might not have been as packed to the brim compared to in the NCAA tournament. Fair to say? Well, I don't know. I don't know, man. Cause 
uh, that dome, man, is is something else, man. Um, um, I it, it could have been, bro, because at the end of the day, you know, Syracuse has this tradition to where they don't sit down until they score the first basket. I don't know how you're trying to teach me this. I live this, man. Oh, uh, okay. So the crowd, it, it, they so loud, man, to where you feel like the 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 the, the, the floor is vibrating. So I would want to say it could have been the same amount of people. I could see the NCAA tournament maybe having a little more, but if it was, it wasn't by a whole lot. But in terms of like not having the vibrations of the floor because you don't have the one-sidedness of the, yeah. of the crowd. Okay. So like yeah. neutral court, less sound, that, that, that makes sense now. Um, but obviously, you know, to come that far, even though, you know, you guys came up short in the Sweet 16, you know, you were one of those hallmark Cinderella teams, you know, among a flurry of them that year in the tournament. I think two eight seeds made the final four that year. Uh, but um, just um, coming back to South Orange after uh, that defeat, um, overall, though, um, you know, among every, all the other students, um, were – were they, and then also just you as a collective unit, you know, were you proud of what you did and, you know, the cause that you played for and to make the unexpected run that you did? Yeah. Um, it, it was, uh, it, it, it was good, man. And it was also something that, you know, we built, well, you know, we built off of, uh, of course, you know, that was shot senior year. Um, a lot of things around the school even changed, man. You know, we had, um, our locker room and stuff has started expanding. Um, the following year, the preseason, you know, the magazines that came out, I was on the cover of the ESPN. I was on the cover of three magazines, the pre, three preseason magazines. Darius ended up making the cover of Streets and Smith. And then, you know, we brought in that uh, good recruiting class that year. So, um it was it was a it was a um, it was a great building process that that sophomore year. Yeah, and you know you talk about um, obviously going into the following season, you know having a lot more attention coming your way, um, mm -hmm. numbers next to your name in the preseason polls. Um, do you think it might have been, you know, a little bit lofty in a way to you know have those thrown on you, you know, so quickly, even even with all the you know, players coming back, including yourself and D'Alembert amongst others, and then bringing in, you know, that great recruiting class with the Hallmark being, you know, one of the all-time greats of Seton Hall, Andre Barrett. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, it was a, uh, it was one of those things to where now you, uh, the arrow is on your back now. Everybody know who you are now. You're not coming up surprising people. And, um, you know, a lot of times too, man, when you rely on freshmen and you put those guys at a big, um, a big responsibility, sometimes that maybe can be too early. Um, you know, when you putting the world of the, the weight of the world on their shoulders at such of an early age. And that's what we did. And um, it was just the chemistry never could get right that, that junior year. You had some upperclassmen that were used to, you know, their minutes and their time. And then, you know, you got freshmen that's coming in that's, that's, that's great players that can play. And 
you give them a real big rule, a, a role, and you put a lot of pressure on their shoulders. And um, the season just didn't go according to plan that that junior year, boy, my junior year. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, that makes more sense. I mean, I mean, things kind of like you know they were looking up for a little bit, and then you know January, you know the winter months hit, and then it just all kind of fizzled out. Um, but you know, I did that kind of play a role in you know, you know, going into your senior year and losing Sam D'Alembert also, um, you know, taking the target away from you and also just, I guess, losing, you know, all the hype that you guys had built up, you know, you know, just. Well, uh, you know, too, we changed coaches that year. Right. Louis Orr. Uh, yeah. Louis Orr came. And um, I don't know if you know, if, are you in, uh, into football like that to where uh, when they say a quarterback needs to have, you know, it's good for them to keep the same uh, offensive coordinator. Right. So yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. So it was a, it was, a, <clears throat> it was kind of different because now you getting another guy that's implementing his system and the way of doing things his way to whereas we've been doing things coach Amical way for, you know, the last, you know, three years or whatever. So now you got another guy that's coming in. So now you got to make that transition from, uh, Coach Or, you know, from being from Syracuse, is a a, a Jim Behan two three zone type of teacher. Coach Amica was a man to man type of guy. Got, so, and, and it's just all kind of different things you have to get used to by having different coaches. Some like doing things differently. This one does things different. So it was a little transition um, going into you know senior year. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's all understandable. And obviously, um, when, you know, when that, you know, change happened, um, what what was the overall reaction, you know, in the locker room? We were shocked. We were shocked. Everybody was shocked. Um, But it was talks that we were hearing that Michigan was going to, you know, offer Coach Amica a job. And um, he called us in the locker room one day the day and he just told us, you know, that that was going to happen. So uh, at the time it was rumored that it was going to be out of coach or, and um, what's the guy named that's at Villanova now? Jay Wright. Yeah. It was out of him and coach or. Oh man. Like if, oh, just to think if Jay Wright had chosen Seton Hall. Yeah. That would have been, that yeah. would have been odd. And considering he was coming from Hofstra too, not too far. Yep. And um I what Coach Orr was at, um um Coach Orr didn't come straight from Syracuse. He had a head coaching job at um I think it was one of those schools upstate New York. I can't really remember now. And then he got his head coaching job at Seton Hall. Um Ah, uh, so I just looked it up. It was Siena, which is uh right outside yeah. of Albany. Yep, yep. So that's where he was at. He had his head coach job there. Then he got the head coach job at uh, Seton Hall, gotcha. but yeah, it was uh, it it was talks that Jay Wright was gonna come to Seton Hall at that particular time. Like, this is my first knowledge of this. Like, even I'm yeah. like, like you want to talk, like I don't like, I was pro- like your shock level of hearing your guy, your guy Tommy Amaker leaving for Michigan. 
probably mm-hmm. matches my shock level of learning that Jay Wright could have been the coach of Seton Hall. Wow. Yep. They too, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's wow. And it just goes to show you how the game of basketball is kind of like a fraternity. You meet people and you, 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 you have connections. And Coach, Coach Orr, he, okay, my senior year, I didn't do it. I didn't finish my senior high school year in Augusta. I went to high school in Cincinnati before I went to prep school. Right. That same high school is where Lewis Orr went at. Lewis Orr is from Cincinnati. Right. Yep, I remember that now. So the name of the high school is Withrow High School. So our athletic director was, I think, the athletic director at Xavier, Xavier University in, in, in Cincinnati. Right. So he and Lewis Orr had a, uh, you know, some type of friendship or, you know, they had history together. So that's how I look, Coach Orr, well, that was one of the reasons, you know, he was able to get the job at Seton Hall at that particular time because our athletic director and him had history from, you know, the Cincinnati days. Gotcha. And, and obviously, you know, it was tough for you, uh, to, you know, with your senior year being his first year at the helm. But, you know, in the years that followed, um, you know, were you happy to see, um, see him turn around the program as much as he did taking them? to the tournament twice and winning a game in 04 with Andre leading the way. Yeah, that was, that was good, man. That was good for the school, man. Um, because, um, you know, I always, when I went to one of the, another reasons what made me choose Seton Hall, because at the time, you know, Seton Hall was on a, you know, they, they, they name wasn't as big in a college basketball world like that. So I always said, I wanted to go to a school to where, you know, they could remember you as, and we was one of, you know, some of the first group of guys to help turn that program around, um, you know, the Coach Amica era. And um, for Coach Orr, you know, to get the guys and to get into, to you know, um, tournaments, you know, make it to the NCAA tournament twice. Out of how many years he did that? Four? Um, like he, I know he did it twice in three years. It was Oh four and Oh six where he made it. Okay. So yeah. Um, you know, uh, that was all, that's, you know, that's, that's great for the school, man. Uh, you talked about how, uh, you were part of the group that, uh, you know, in the post PJ Carlismo era, um, you were part of the group that, you know, got Seton Hall back to where it was, um, although not as high, but still in the ballpark. Uh, but to see what Kevin Willard has done now at Seton Hall, now taking them, they w- meaning would have taken them to the tournament for the fifth year in a row had coronavirus n- not wiped out the tournament completely. Uh, but mm-hmm. what's it been like watching that group? Um, and watching- it's, 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 it's tremendous, man, because uh, I always, you know, talk, me and Shaw always laugh and talk about who's the best to come out, and I think you probably would have had to give that ranks to Terry DeHair. But I think, um, what's my guy named that's the senior this year? Oh, um, wow. He, I think he's the best to come from the school, man. Uh, I just, they, he, from what I've seen, he's amazing, man. Um, the, the games that I watch and the highlights and stuff like that. Um, so 
And then, you know, he's putting, you know, Seton Hall back, you know, is, is to keep them on the map. You know what I'm saying? Now you got a guy that was I probably with different associated presses that was player of the year in the in the in college basketball or easily could have gotten it. So um um you know, and then I, I asked Shaw the time because Shaw was an assistant under right. uh, the coach now. And uh, he said the guy's a great, a good coach. So um, it's always good to see, you know, your old school, um, you know, reach success the way that they're doing now. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he was, you know, Kevin Willard's right-hand man helping lead Seton Hall back to prominence. And now, you know, to see him, you know, two short years at St. Peter's helping take a program that has been, you know, perpetually think, bad think, in a way. I think, I think coach, I think Shy got um, coach of the year in a conference this year. Yeah. Rightfully so. He deserved every bit of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did actually in the March Madness simulation. Um, so I guess him the rest of the conference tournaments, the way out and shot took the Peacocks to the NCAA tournament. Um, only to lose to, you know, a, a number one seed in Kansas. But just in two short years, what's it been like to watch him um, turn that Peacocks program around? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him, oh, man. Um, I never thought that that would be the lane that Shaheen would go in. But um, the guys that I talk to, they all say that, you know, he does it and is doing an excellent job there. And for him to get coach at a year in his conference is always good. But – I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, it's a high school tournament here in the summertime. It's called a Peach Jam. It's a Nike tournament. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I've heard about this. Yeah, so it's here in Augusta. So all the coaches every year, My going into my senior year of high school was the first year that they had it here. The year that uh, Riverside was killing everything that moved. They had Eric Barkley. Um, Um, Eric Barkley, Ron Artest, uh, Elton Brand, all them was on Riverside. That was the first year that they had the Nike Peach Jam here. So it's, you know, all the top guys come here. So all the coaches come here, you know, to look at all the talent. So that's a lot of times where, you know, Shaheen and I would spend, you know, time together because he'll come down and look at some of the guys you know, that they trying to recruit because, you know, the best of the best comes down here, you know, for that particular tournament. Gotcha. Now, um, speaking of other events in Augusta, um, first, uh, I'll ask you two questions. One, is the Masters overrated or underrated? And number two, what do you think of the move to move it to this fall? Um, it, to me, it's probably underrated. Okay. It's underrated. The, the masters itself um, based off of, I guess it depends on who you asking. If you're asking somebody that's in that world of golf, then it probably uh, is meeting uh, its expectations. Okay. But if it's somebody that's in the basketball world or in the NFL world that just is not into the golf world it's you know, you'll probably look at it when you get to know the particulars and see, how underrated it is because man, you got to understand people from all over fly in from the, for this event. It, it's probably the, the either the number one or two largest sporting event behind, it could be in front or behind the Super Bowl. All right. So you got to think it lasts the whole week. 
seven days and you have people flying all the way from Australia, England. It's, it's crazy, man. Like I know people that rent out their houses to a family that comes every year for like $50,000 for a whole week, you know, because the hotel and they like to stay walking distance, you know, so they can go there. And like, it was, I knew it was real because I've been living here all my life, but I never was a, a, a golfer. I never paid attention to the sport. Last year I was at this, you know, fancy hotel here and I seen Alex Rodriguez with a lot of important people just eating and mingling. Jay-Z has been, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. You know, you'll be surprised at some of the people that stick their head in for that particular tournament. So if you're not in the golf world, you'll probably, you, you could see why it's un, underrated. But if you're in the golf world and you know the ins and out, it probably isn't, you know, it's probably meets its um, expectations. All right, now overall, you know, like obviously with the pandemic, it obviously had to get postponed. So, what'd you think about it moving to the fall? Uh, to me, it's going to be different because that's the colder season. Um, it's nothing like the warm weather, um, you know, and it's going to be something new far as you know the people that visit. So, I, I'm I'm interested to see are we still going to get the large of attraction of people because. People have to book hotels in Columbia, South Carolina. We we probably like 45 or 50 minutes away from Columbia, South Carolina, because all the hotels are booked years out in advance throughout the whole city. So that's why a lot of people like to rent out people houses and stuff like that, because the all the hotels are booked. So I'm I'm interested to see are we gonna get the same response by being in um in October during the cold seasons versus, you know, in April, May, uh, what is in April? Yeah. Yeah. During the hot season, the warm weather season. Right. And, and, you know, like you think about it, like April, like that's when the temperatures are finally starting to rise again versus, you know, mm -hmm. in October, November, that's where it starts dipping. That's where it starts dipping. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen. I'm not, I'm a casual golf fan. I watched a little bit, of um, the action from the first major of the year this past weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm casual at best, but I mean, nothing, I mean, nothing beats the masters golf wise for me. Um, so, but to get that perspective from an, from an Augusta native is uh, really, really cool. Now. Uh, oh yeah, I, man, it's crazy. But get now, uh, so uh, just to wrap this up though, mm -hmm. um, Overall, um, you know, looking back on this, you know, it's crazy to think, you know, it's been 20 years now since Seton Hall's last Sweet 16 appearance. And according to my simulation that, you know, you're going to listen uh, to this episode when it comes out, um, that drought would have ended this year um, and then some. Uh, but overall, you know, is it crazy to think it's been 20 years since that run? And, you know, overall, you know, what is that time and just the – um the your entire experience at Seton Hall what has it meant to you and what's it been like just watching the program grow to the heights that it has since your graduation um you know like I said man it's always uh good to see you know the success of your alma mater um it's always good to see that um it's also a good feeling as well too you know I want the school to you know achieve better 
and uh, Elite Eights and Final Fours, but it's also good, you know, to know that you were a part of the school history that something hasn't been done in 20 years since, you know, you were there and you played an important role on why that happened. So that's also, you know, good as an individual and as a person to be a part, you know, even though I do, you know, wish them well and want them to, you know, reach higher goals and have, you know, much more success. But it's also, you know, good to be a part of something that hasn't been done in school history in 20 years, you know. So uh, that that's that's what it is. I mean, like, is it kind of, like, bewildering to think that it's been that long? Yeah, it's, it's crazy sometimes that when you get to thinking about it, like, whoa, that time went by fast, you know. And um, it's, 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 it's amazing, man. And um, it's something that I'll never forget, no matter how old I am. Um, you know, those memories, your teammates and practices and the things that you guys did. And, um, you know, um, you know, somebody from like a Duke or North Carolina be like, oh, man, y'all happy about the Sweet 16. But, you know, is also a huge step based off of what the program, you know, has came from and the things that has happened. So um, I'm, you know, happy and blessed to be a part of it. Something, you know, that hasn't happened since, you know, 20 plus years ago. And um, I'm also excited and happy because I think the program is going, you know, in the right direction to where they're going to make some elite eights and final fours now. Yeah, I mean, you know, Time will only tell, but, you know, to make five straight NCAA tournaments and hopefully more and keep that streak going, you know, for years to come, it's been uh, incredible to watch that, um, to watch Seton Hall, you know, before 2016, they hadn't made the tournament in a decade. And now here they would have been making it for the fifth year in a row and they got a chance to keep that streak going, you know, the year, after, you know, next year and hopefully the year after that, year after that, so on and so forth. And, um, but, you know, you talk about taking a trip down memory lane. I, I think I'm probably going to recommend for you uh, watching. Uh, I know it's on YouTube because they archive every year's one shining moment and uh, from the NCAA tournament. I, I know Shaw's uh, game winners on there. So I'm definitely going to recommend. Uh, I know I'll be watching. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, that's, that's something we used to always look at um, after the NCAA championship game goes off and, we were dying, my family and myself was dying to see uh, that. I think I might have got two clips. And Seton Hall, Darius got a clip in that sweet, uh, into that um, one shining moment. Uh, I think I might have got a clip or two in that. I know I got one, but um, I might have got two clips from that one shining moment. So I trust and believe me, I remember that one. I, I remember that one. I mean, I, I mean, I'll re, I'll rewatch it right with you, man. So, um, um, but also, you know, last question I'll ask is, is Luther Vandross's version the best version of that song? Um, I'm going to tell you, I like his version because I like him as an artist, right. but sometimes the original one, it's hard to beat the original one. Yeah, it's, it's fair, but man, I don't know. Like for some reason, Luther Vandross's version, man, like it will, like <laughs> it, like as a diehard college hoops fan, like it makes me cry. It, I swear to God. But I mean, that's just my two cents. Go nah, ahead. Nah, and and um, Coach Amica made a um, 
each year at the end of the banquet, they make um highlight tapes for the whole year, just different plays. And um that year he had one that if you look at it and the the the, uh, the song, I can't. It was an Earth, Wind, and Fire song, I think. And um, it it'll bring you almost to tears too, man. Um, uh, that year, that was that was a magical year for the um for the school. And I think that'd be also no matter the achievements that the school have, I think that's just something that you know Seton Hall Pirate fans and people that's been keeping up with the programs over the years that's one that's going to always stick out. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more, you know, making a Cinderella run to honor, you know, the three unfortunate victims of the Boland Hall fire and, um, you know, bring the school together in such a tough time, you know, and, and, and even two months in the aftermath, you know, gave something everyone at Seton Hall could smile about then and still smile about now. Ty, Thanks again for the time, man. Thanks. It was a great thanks interview. Yeah, All no right, thanks. So that does it for this episode of the Igloo. Just two more episodes to go in season one. Big thank you again to Ty Shine for joining me to talk about that amazing Sweet 16 run for the Hall back in 2000. Kind of crazy to think, you know, it's been 20 years. <laughs> this quarantine and this pandemic sure seems like 20 years. Obviously, and it's... It's a hyperbole, but you know what I mean. But hopefully, you know, as time goes on, hopefully we get closer to getting basketball back. I know people are clamoring for football, but for me, you know, we can skip that. Just give me the basketball. Just give me the basketball as soon as possible, honestly. But as for what's in store, other than the March Madness simulation results that I've got to share remaining, who knows? However, it is my mission on one of these final two episodes, I will get one former Providence Friar on to round out my season properly. So any former Providence Friars, if you're listening out there or any Providence fans, help hook a brother up and help line up an interview for me. It would be so awesome. Honestly, Providence was one of the more fun teams I encountered play, um, you know, as a fan a student fan when I was in college, you know, the guys were pretty funny, had good senses of humor, weren't afraid to interact, weren't jerks, good personable people. And I know saying personable people is kind of like a redundant phrase, but again, if any Friar fans out there, um, if you got any ins with any former players or any way I can coordinate some sort of interview with any former Friars or hell, even anyone who is going to be on the roster um, for the 2021 season. Hit your boy Timmy Ice up at the real Timmy Ice. My DMs will be open if you got anything for me. So until next time, this Timmy Ice signing off. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you in a few days.